Hi, this is Jim Swilly. Welcome to Metron Live. Metron is a Greek word that means sphere of influence. I believe in living your best life possible, and that's the reason for this podcast. This is my Metron. Now let me help you discover yours. The biggest announcement I have this morning, of course, is this time next... Actually, this time next week, you'll probably be checking out of your rooms and getting back on the road home. I can't believe how time flies. When we plan Meditation Weekend 15, it seems so far out in the future, and here we are. So uh, we're next weekend, we will be um, in beautiful, magical St. Simon's Island. Hey, Danny. Um, our fourth time to do a Meditation Weekend there. Um, there's still time for you to go if you can find a room, I'm, I'm assuming. One, one advantage about St. Simon's, it's, it has a lot more uh, amenities than Jekyll does. It's a bigger island, so you have more restaurants, they stay open later, you have more hotels to choose from. Uh, I, I think some of you are staying in Brunswick. We're staying right on the beach in uh, St. Simon's. and. Um, Wherever you stay, it's all it's all beautiful down there. But um, if, if you, I'm assuming everybody knows what I'm talking about, but this is our 15th meditation weekend. Uh, it'll be August 6th and 7th, which uh, is um, next Saturday and Sunday. As always, we do a sunset meditation on the Saturday night, and uh, sunsets on St. Simon's are uh, amazing. Hey, Jeffrey. Um, and then uh, we'll do a sunrise meditation on Sunday morning, the seventh. Uh, hey, Brenda, and it's going to be uh, it's going to be wonderful. <clears throat> then for the rest of the month, I'll be streaming. And then first Sunday of uh, September, whatever that date is, we'll be back. Uh, we'll be back in the theater in Midtown at uh, Landmarks Midtown Art Cinema. All right. So um, if, if you want to go on the weekend, just decide to do it. If you've been on the fence, I'm pushing you over. I'm tipping you over. Get off the fence. Go uh, book yourself a room and uh, come meet us up there. Just if, if you don't know what I'm talking about, stream up. Um, scroll up to my uh, cover photo on, my, on this page, on this Facebook page, and you'll see all the information about uh, what to do. The amazing thing about these is you you guys, I never really had to walk you through any of this. Like from the very first one of these we did, uh, you, you guys immediately got it and showed up. This this looks like, if everybody shows up that has signed up, this will be the largest group we've ever, we've ever taken. So we'll see. Sometimes it shifts a little right at the end. Some people end up not going. Some extra people end up going. So we'll see. But uh, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be awesome. I've got a lot to share with you today. Uh, I'm actually going to do a, turn what I talked about last week into a, at least a two-part series. I'll probably wrap it up today. We'll see. Uh, but we had such a, a great response from last week, and I and there were still more things I wanted to say about it. And so um, uh, I'm, I'm going to continue in that vein this morning. So. Um, uh, let's just do two or three affirmations and then we're going to get right into it, maybe two or three breaths. So, um, uh, I am blessed. I am a blessing. I am. When I point to me, I say it. When I point to you, you say it. Uh, I am peaceful. I am peace. I am. Um, thank you, Ed. Thank you, Alethea. Uh, I am joyful. I am joy, I am. Um, 
I am blessed. I am a blessing. I am. Um, I am well. I am wellness. I am. I am whole. I am wholeness. I am. Yeah, I see that cloud up there, but I'm not going to ask it to move because uh, right now I don't mind a little bit of rain. So if if it does start raining, I'm just going to cooperate with it and maybe move inside. Usually I would ask the clouds to hold off. Um, yeah, maybe I will. Clouds, if you could hold off for about an hour, that would be lovely. But I don't want you to go anywhere. We need you around, so don't, don't go too far off. Um, uh, give me some, um, give me some breaths. We're going to go in through the nose, hold it, and release the mouth. We'll be doing a lot of this next weekend because meditation, really, technically, is just breathing, and and uh, breathing causes you to get centered, helps you become present. Um, spirit and breath are used interchangeably in the scriptures. So, uh, give me two or three of these. Let's go in, hold, out through the mouth. When you breathe in through the nose, you bring uh, nitrous oxide into your body, you oxygenate yourself. In, hold, out. In, hold, out. Ah, it's beautiful. I feel serenity by the second breath. My, my uh, brain makes my body respond to this very quickly now. So as soon as, like if I feel a stressful situation coming on, if, I, if I'll just be conscious to breathe, it immediately, everything calms down. And most of the stuff that happens to you, uh, if, it's, if you think it's negative, a lot of the negativity is from your own response to it. Uh, if it's when something happens and you, if you freak out about the potential of what it could be, uh, sometimes it ends up, you end up making it worse. I, I speak from experience. So um, calmness, especially in the midst of a storm, is really a superpower. So uh, it, it's, it's, it's really important to uh, teach your body and your mind and your brain how to all come into this. And the great thing about these meditation weekends on the beach, just the beach itself is so conducive to serenity. I mean, it's it's really hard to sit on a beach and be stressed out. Uh, the the um, magnitude of the ocean and the uh, the surf coming in and going out. It's like you it it um, recalibrates you because all the things that you think are terrible in your life you go look at the beach go look at the ocean it puts everything in perspective we're largely made up of water so we have a, a connection with the water that's why when you go there you just want to sit there and look at it um, so um, all the meditations that we've done have been excellent I love the ones in the mountains and we'll do we'll do at least one in the fall but the ones at the beach there's nothing like them because the beach just automatically makes you makes you serene I mean really if you're just sitting on a beach relaxing you're already meditating people say I don't really meditate yeah if you if you have the ability to sit on a beach and not have a thought and just look at the ocean then you know how to meditate it's not rocket science it's not gonna make you a Hindu you're already doing it we just sort of uh, take it into a um, uh, communal 
experience and turning it turning into something spiritual. All right. Thank you for the um, uh, all the great response from last week. I loved it. <laughs> Ken's on call this week, but he was last week. He was downstairs, and I thought he was do he was doing laundry. He did have the laundry going. He had he had the message on. And when I when I walked down afterwards, all the lights were flipped on. And he was there was. Uh, vacuums going and mopping going. I said, what are you doing? He said, your word just got me so jazzed. I'm doing a deep cleaning. So I'm like, all right, let the Lord use you. And I mean, you could, he cleaned that place. He said, I, I just got so energized listening to you. I had to do something. So if you need to get your house clean today, listen to this word. It'll get you jazzed up. All right. Um, all right. Thank you. I'm seeing some of your comments, so that's that's wonderful. Uh, let's take it. Let's take it to the next level. Okay. Here's part two. We speak into this atmosphere. We say, "Let there be light." We flow with the Spirit. I affirm that the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me to preach liberty to the captives. Um, Holy Spirit. Speak with me and through me right now. Amen. All right. Um, last week, I taught on some things I've taught, I've been teaching for a while now. It wasn't, it wasn't that it was technically new material. What was different about last week is um, a few days before the teaching, someone had sent me a question uh, who's been with me for years. Definitely, uh, here's my... Uh, Definitely hears my voice. Um, she sent me a question. She said, I just, she, this may be random, but I just want to know, why do we still, why do we pray in the name of Jesus if we're saying, if we're making, an, it seems like the I am declaration is the ultimate. So how do you reconcile the two? And I, I sent her back a, uh, an answer that she it resonated with her. I basically said, I, I, I don't see the two phrases as being mutually exclusive, mainly because of Romans 8, 29. He, we were predestined to be conformed to his image that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Uh, so when I say in the name of Jesus, or if I say uh, I am, really, and, and I did take it here to say that in my teaching last week, that really you're, because of what Jesus did, uh, and I'm going to talk a little bit about this today. So I'm going to talk a lot about it. Um, you're actually, you're saying, you're, you're making a declaration in your name be, because he showed you how to do it. He's, he's no longer the only begotten son. He's the firstborn among many brethren. Like, for instance, if you're, if you're the oldest sibling, or if you have siblings and you're the oldest in your family, when you were born, you were the only begotten. When you had little sisters, little brothers, whatever, uh, you became the firstborn among many siblings. So Jesus is called, in, in basic New Testament theology, uh, Jesus is called the firstborn, okay? So a lot of what we do, we do because we saw our elder brother do it. Our elder brother became uh, another place Paul called him the first fruits from the dead. Uh, so Jesus shows us how to operate in God consciousness or in the family of God. And um, I, I, I want to I read these two verses again, these two passages, because I used these last week. I particularly like them because they're talking about 
praying in the name of Jesus, but also the uh, the I am uh, affirmation. The first one, again, this is John chapter 16, verse 23 and 24. I'm in the Amplified Classic, the original Amplified Bible that came out in the 50s, which is still one of my favorite translations. All right. This is how it says it here. And when the time comes, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples uh, at the Last Supper. He says, and when the time comes, you will ask nothing of me. You will need to ask me no questions. I assure you, most solemnly I tell you that my Father will grant you whatever you ask in my name as presenting all that I am. And the I am is capitalized, capital I, capital A, capital M. Let me read that again. And when the time comes, in other words, once I'm out of here, once once you no longer see God as um, uh, gender-specific, age-specific, uh, having anthropomorphic features, it, Jesus said, it's necessary that I go away, because if I stay in this incarnation, you're going to think God's a man, you're going to think he's uh, part of the nation uh, nation of Israel or Palestine or Judah, whatever, you want, whatever it was called back then. Um, I, he said, I've got to remove these obstacles so that you don't think of God, that you think of God uh, as limitless. And sure enough, on the day of Pentecost, that's when God was revealed as having no ethnicity. Uh, I've seen several people post a meme, and I understand what they're saying, I've, but I've seen several people post a meme that there were no white people in the Bible. They're actually... Fair enough, most of the Bible is not about white people. But in on the day of Pentecost, it does mention Italians. So at least swarthy, uh, uh, olive-complected white people. No, the upper European people, no, they, they're, they're not in there at all. That's why <laughs> when the Europeans sort of... Um, uh, colonized Jesus. That's why they had to start painting him with blonde hair and blue eyes. Because you gotta, if you're gonna change people's perception, you gotta change their visual image. So that's why, that's why all of our paintings have white surfer dude Jesus. It's because of those Northern Europeans that weren't even mentioned in the Bible. But I digress. That's why when I paint Jesus now, I either paint him as either black or at least brown, at least dark complected in some way. Because he definitely, he definitely didn't look like me. <clears throat> That's for sure. So Jesus said, I've, I've got to go so that you can see who God really is. That, that's that's fascinating to me. Because in, in, in one place, he said, if you see me, you've seen the Father. And then in another place, he says, stop looking at me. Because you're going to think this is, this is who God is if I stay here longer than I'm supposed to. So, I mean, Jesus... Jesus uh, left this dimension when he was 33 and was only in the ministry for 36 months. So um, that's why I say Christianity is the worst thing that ever happened to Jesus because Jesus was so cautious not to start a religion. His whole thing, he was much more, uh, uh, you know, just uh, on the religious hierarchies back way more than he was on the people we would call sinners. Uh, sinners he was at the parties with. So um, that's why if Jesus were here today, the real Jesus, he wouldn't he wouldn't even be allowed in most churches, much less to uh, to preach, because people don't know who they have no idea who that entity was. Okay. Um, and then verse 24 says, up to the time you have not asked a single thing in my name. 
as presenting all that I am. But now ask and keep on asking and you will receive so that your joy, gladness, delight may be full and complete. So Jesus basically says, stop asking me anything. I came here to recalibrate your consciousness of your of God and of yourself. You thought you were fallen. I went to the cross to show you. Uh, if that's what you think, then I'll be wounded for your transgressions. Uh, I, I nearly... I nearly want to say he was wounded for our transgressions in, in, in uh, quotation marks. It's like, well, Paul said we were alienated from God in our minds. We were, you were created in the image of God perfect. And that's why when Adam, uh, whether you believe Adam was a literal or, or figure, uh, whatever, however you interpret that, um, uh, when Adam falls, falls, uh, the creator comes to him in the cool of the day and, and he says, where are you? And Adam says, um, I, I hid from you because I was naked and I was afraid. And and it's not like the creator says, yep, you sure are. No, he says, well, who, who told you that? Who told you you were naked? Who told you you were fallen? Who told you you should be afraid? But because Adam had been given dominion on the earth, whatever Adam called the animals is what God called them. So if Adam called himself fallen, God had to call him fallen, okay? Uh, if you go back on our uh, YouTube channel, that's uh, one of my favorite, fam most famous sermons, A Tale of Two Trees. And uh, uh, El Elwood, who's watching right now, he, he texted me this week and he said, I think, I think this is... What you taught last week is better than A Tale of Two Trees, which I think is his favorite sermon. And then he said, no, actually it's better. So that, that was very cool. Elwood's been listening to me for a long time. Um, so the other, other uh, passage I wanted to share with you is uh, John chapter 14, verse 6, where in the King James, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Fundamentalists have taken that and turned it into something that Jesus was not talking about at all. They've, they've made it into sort of the anti-inclusion verse. Say they, they teach it as Jesus said, if you don't become a Christian, you'll go to hell. And that's not at all what Jesus was saying, not in that context. Jesus never used the word hell. The words that got translated hell in the King James Version and some of the other English translations, uh, when you look at the original, Jesus was talking about Gehenna, a garbage dump that was right outside of Jerusalem, where they used to, uh, it used to be called the Valley of Hinnom. It's where they did uh, uh, child sacrifice to Molech and some of these gods. And it was a terrible place and it's where they burned cadavers. And that kind of, that's why the worm didn't die there because it was maggot infested. So when Jesus said, you'll be cast into Gehenna if thus and so, there's not one person in his audience who would have, ne they would have never thought about an, uh, an eternal place of punishment at the center of the earth. Most of what fundamentalist Christians think of hell came from um, uh, Dante's Inferno. Um, anyway... This is uh, John 14, 6 in the mirror translation, okay? Instead of saying Jesus said, I am the way, it says, Jesus said, my I amness. He, he coins a phrase. I, capital A, capital M, dash N-E-S-S. My I amness. Jesus said, my I, I amness mirrored in you is your way. Let me say that again. 
Not I am the way. My I amness mirrored in you is your way. This is your truth and is also your life. Every single person can now come face to face with the Father entirely because of my doing. And so, uh, again, this was not new information last week. I've been telling you for some time that um, I honor the cross. I honor what Jesus did. I honor the um, atonement. I don't think it's what most of traditional Christianity think it was about. Uh, I don't believe Jesus came to um, appease an angry sky god that can only bear us or, or stomach us now is through his blood sacrifice. Blood, sa that blood sacrifice came from that part of the world. It was in all of the ancient religions. Uh, and you even see it now. I mean, you've seen these movies, uh, you know, these movies of uh, uh, like... Um, indigenous people who will sacrifice a virgin to a volcano. There's this idea that a, a, a virgin or an innocent person has to be uh, sacrificed. Even in uh, the Old Testament, the high priest would uh, once a year lay his hands on the scapegoat and officially um, put all the sins of Israel on that animal, and that animal would go out into the wilderness and die. And so there was, there was this consciousness that um, the innocent had had to suffer uh, and blood had to be shed and so Jesus because he was revealed into a culture that believed very strong in that I mean he, he tries to get out of it on the Garden of Gethsemane he says if there's any way let this cup pass from me because he had already told them now are you clean through the words that I've spoken to you he'd already he'd already said to them in John chapter 12 now the God of this world is cast down that was as far as he was concerned that was done uh, but because people could not get their eyes off themselves or their own failings or what they perceived was their sin. Jesus says, let this cut pass for me, but if this is the way it's got to be, I'll do it. And so he goes to the cross, not to reveal, not to make us palatable to God, because God is love. God created us. God already loved us. With God, whoever, whatever God is, God loved you with or without the cross, with or without Jesus, with or without the blood. I know that that may sound just shocking to you if, if you grew up believing that uh, the only way you were righteous is through the blood. But even Paul says, uh, with the heart man believes under righteousness. So if if J Jesus could have died a million times on the cross, if you don't believe you're, you have right standing, then you don't have right standing. Right standing comes from your belief system, what you believe about yourself, which is why Paul says... Uh, to the Colossians, I believe. He says, you were alienated from God in your mind. In other words, the fall was real because... Oh, the clouds did go. Thank you. Um, the the, the cross... I mean, the... Um, the cross was effective because it was a it was a placebo. And placebos work. Um, I mean, they just do. So... Um, I could even take it to the next level and say uh, one of the main reasons Jesus came was not to reveal God to you, but to reveal you to you. And I even said, I, I don't think I've ever said this before, but last week I said um, when, when Moses begins to pray uh, for deliverance from Pharaoh's army, God tells him not to pray and he says, he said, what do you have in your hand? Stretch that out. and and. I believe it was Moses, Moses that parted the Red Sea because God gave him that power. And God had already told him, 
in uh, Genesis 7, I'm going to make you as God to Pharaoh. So he was, he, Moses was a prototype to show people, this is what God wants you to be on the earth. Let, it's a fulfillment of Genesis 126. Let us make people in our image and let them have dominion. All right. So, so that's, these are the things we established last week. Let me, let me back up a little bit and give you some context of why I believe, why I believe this is so important. Why I believe you received it so well. Why I didn't even need to defend it because when when truth is really spoken, um, uh, it, it's it's the two-edged sword that Hebrews 4:12 talks about. Uh, the the word, not the Bible. The word is powerful. Is is um, uh, swift and powerful, sharper than any two, quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Is the Bible the Word of God? No, the Bible doesn't claim to be the Word of God. The Word of God is what God speaks on a continuum. The Bible is a part of it. The Bible contains it. The Bible can tap you into it. The Bible is not perfect. It does not claim to be infallible. Bibliolatry is is dangerous and perverse. You're not supposed to worship a set of books. Um, that's why the scripture says the, the, the word, what you think is the word, still has to be rightly divided. You don't just, you don't just swallow it whole. It ha you have to look at it and say, well, it's in there. I like crab legs, but when I eat them, I have to rightly divide them. There's a way that you take that sweet meat out of the shells and you discard the shells. You don't just chomp down on the shells and say, I, I like crab. No, I like the meat that's in the legs of the crab. So is the Bible the Word of God? It's in there. It's all in there. But it is not the definitive Word of God. If you believe, if you believe in an omnipotent, almighty God, and you believe that he could only speak through 40 men through a 1500 year period of time several thousand years ago you really need to get a bigger god uh the god i believe in speaks continually david said when i walk out the heavens declare the glory of god um david, david heard the word of god everywhere uh and so yes the bible's a part of it uh but man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds, present tense, out of the mouth of God. It is a preceding word, okay? All of this is revisionist. You know all this. But Hebrews says we have to give the more earnest, heard, the more earnest heed to the things we've heard, lest by any means we let them slip. All right. Here's, here's the context. Um, first of all, well, let's see. How do I want to, what sequence do I want to say this in? I'm just going to say it as, as I feel it. Um, night before last, I'm watching Hulu. I go over to Hulu and I see what, what's, if there's anything I want to watch. And there was a, um, I think it was from about three years ago, but it was, it was a 2020 uh, episode, maybe a series of episodes, with Diane Sawyer about this family the Turpin family uh, who the parents are in prison now because um, of child endangerment all right I remember hearing a little bit about this story 
And I've heard of so many stories like this, I kind of glaze over. But for some reason, this caught my attention because of the, the young girls that were being interviewed who were uh, part of, they were sisters who were part of the 15 children that this couple had. Let me back up a little bit. This couple, uh, they didn't they didn't describe a denomination but they came out of a very strict Pentecostal background that um, pretty much preached against everything including birth control and so um, they had 15 children they could not care for the 15 children so they lived in squalor the children were filthy they homeschooled them all uh, the children were emaciated they couldn't feed them they um, uh, they wouldn't let them out of the house. They actually went to prison because one of the girls, when she was uh, 17, was able to climb out of a window and find a cell phone. And she called the cops and said, I just escaped from my house. My siblings are chained up in bed. They, and so the, the cops came a couple hours later and um, came into the house, said it was a, a, a welfare check and found several of these children that were virtually starving who were chained to their uh, uh, bunk beds. Many of them were chained. And these kids, had been, they, they had not been allowed to go outside. They had never talked to strangers. This girl was 17 and didn't even know she was supposed to walk on the sidewalk because she'd never, she'd never walked out in the light of day. And um, the, the mother was a hoarder, and it's, I mean, it's a nightmare. The, the kid, these kids, it was horrible what these kids went through. And they're all really small because malnutrition, most of them were never fed properly, and they, their vocabulary is limited because there was no interact. The only interaction they had was with each other, and they kind of taught each other the way to, you know, how to read and that, you know, in their own limited way. And they showed a, uh, they showed a verse of scripture. It's out of, it's out of Deuteronomy. Um, a lot of the Mosaic law is Leviticus. I, I, I probably the first few years after I came out, I had some passages in Leviticus cut and pasted and sent to me. I'm, no exaggeration. I'm going to say about five thousand times uh, <laughs> when I was having my little fifteen minutes of fame, and I would read that and I would think, you, you don't think I'm aware of these verses? Um, uh, anyway, there's one, there's a passage in Deuteronomy because according to Moses law, if you take Moses law, literally pretty much everybody gets killed under Moses law. You, you would have already been stoned for several, uh, several things you've done just this morning. Uh, like men weren't supposed to shave the side of their face and, uh, you're not supposed to wear blended fabrics and you know all these things. That's why people say it's an abomination for a man to lie with a man. There's 613 abominations, and you're committing two or three of them right now as I speak. Um, but this one uh, passage, I think it's chapter 16 maybe, it's in Deuteronomy. And it says, parents, if you have a son... Who, will, who is lazy, who will not get a job, who is unemployed, you are to, and he won't, he won't look for work, you are to take him by the hand and uh, bring him to the elders and, and say, this is our son, he is lazy, he will not work. I think the King James may use the word churlish, I believe. I haven't read it in a while. 
uh, anyway, he's just he's just a lousy son. Like he he won't do anything. He won't help out. He's a drunkard. He just lays around and drinks all the time. And they are to stone him with stones until he is dead. Not counsel him. Not hook him up with a, uh, you know, somebody that can help him get work. Not take him to substance abuse uh, recovery. Just, just kill the jerk. <laughs> if your son is lazy, not if he's committed adultery, not if he's homosexual, just if he won't work. I, I remember, I don't want to get sidetracked, but um, I, this has not been my reality for many years now. But um, I remember back in the day, the early, you know, around, uh, I see I came out publicly 2010, so around 2011, 2012, 13, 14, that, that period of time. It was just every day, every single day I would have, when I'd wake up, it would be just a, a litany of letters. Most of them were people saying, oh my God, I saw your coming out video, it saved my life, it's reconciled my family. But then there'd be mixed in there, you're going to hell, you're burning in hell. And <laughs> it used to tickle me because so many of them would begin with, it's not my place to judge you. And then it would be like page after page after page of judgment. And um, usually, I'm not, I don't want to make a broad in, um, a, I don't want to uh, stereotype. But usually if it says you have a, a uh, message from prophetess so-and-so, uh, I, was, I was like, oh, here it comes. And those prophetesses, they don't like the gays. <laughs> and... Uh, they just be hammering me with scriptures, scriptures that I've been preaching on for 50 years, scriptures that I've written books about. And uh, in the early days, I would engage with them. Now I just block them. But if it happened, it hasn't happened for years. Uh, but the ones I would engage with, I would say, all right, because they would, they would give me some of uh, verses from Paul's writings. And I would say to them, all right, if we're going to play the Paul card, if Paul's our... If he's our um, uh, authority here, why are you even talking to me? Because Paul said, you're not even supposed to be preaching. Paul said, you should keep silence in the church. Paul said, I do not allow a woman to teach. Paul said, I do not allow a woman to usurp authority over a man. Uh, some of these women were younger than me. Paul said, do not rebuke an elder. I mean, if you're, if, if you're going to go Pauline on me, I'm going to go Paul all over you. If, if, if you want some Paul, I'm going to Paul you right out of the ministry. Because if, if Paul's our litmus test, you need to shut up. How dare you even talk to me? Do you not? Did you not read that Paul said Christ is the head of the man and the man's the head of the woman? How did you not know that? Paul said, I suffer women to be silent in the church. You're supposed to shut up. How dare you defy the scriptures and rebuke me? After a while, I just quit because... Um, when people are legalistic, it so deranges them. Their, uh, religion is such extreme dementia that there's no point uh, in trying to um, uh, reason with them. Because you can, to somebody whose brain has really been demented by legalism, you can show them the truth. You can show them what the what the Greek originally said. You can show them the context. And they will still say, well, I believe in my heart 
that you're wrong and I'm right. So it's, it's just a waste of time. That's why the scripture says, let him who is ignorant be ignorant still. It's sort of a biblical way to say, namaste. You're, you, you know what? Believe what you want to believe. You're adorable. I'll see you in heaven. Um, so this verse of scripture says, if your son is lazy, kill him. Well, th this this fam this these parents used this verse to terrorize their children. They basically said, um, uh, they basically said, if you disobey us, we'll kill you. According to what the Bible says, the Bible says, if your child is, you know, rebellious, because that that word is used. If you have a rebellious child, kill him. And you could tell these children they had no they had no interaction with anybody else to tell them that was hogwash. So they were terrified. Even when this 17-year-old girl, uh, they, the cop said, can I take you to your house? She said, no, I'm too terrified. They're going to kill me. They're going to kill me. And I've heard stories like that before. I remember there was a woman in Texas years ago. They had, she and her husband had several children, and she had heard a teaching on Christian TV about you, uh, this thing that does not exist in the scriptures. People think there's an age of count accountability. She had heard a preacher on Christian TV said, if your children aren't saved uh, by the time they reach the, the age of accountability, they're all going to hell. And she was so terrified of that, she baptized all of her children in the bathtub and drowned them all. I think it was five or six little kids. When the husband came home, they were all dead. All of the children were dead. And she said, I don't remember the name. If you Google it, you could find it. She said, I just had to be sure of their salvation. Now, when I hear stuff like that, I think, thank God I'm out of that because I don't believe any of that. If that's what a Christian is, do not ever call me that. And I felt that way for a while. I mean, I felt disconnected from mainstream Christianity for years. And then the last few years I've watched evangelical Christianity sort of devolve into a political party. Then I think, well, if, if my tie was already severed with you, it's cauterized now. Because if, if that's what being a Christian is, I, I'm out. Um, so that's the one extreme. What's that got to do with praying in Jesus' name? I'm getting there. That's one extreme to say, no, if that's what if, if that's what it is to believe the Bible and stuff, then don't do not put me in that category. I'm not like that. If that's what a Christian is, if that's what a Bible believer is, then no, I am not that. Now on the other hand, there's this other reality is that um, I know in years of being, I mean, I've been in church my whole life. I know there were things that happened that were real. I know there were prayers that I prayed that were supernaturally answered. Um, I know what it's like to feel the presence of God. I know what it's like to read a verse of scripture under the anointing and just come alive to you and really change your heart. I know that part of it is totally real, totally um, effective. And so, and even while I'm on this subject, let me, um, uh, I think you all know this, but let me make this disclaimer. Um, if you 
title me a Christian Universalist. I'm like, uh, okay, I'm, I'm not really a label kind of guy, but I wouldn't argue with you. If you say I'm an inclusionist, yeah, okay. Uh, all right, fine. Let me tell you sort of a nuanced shade of meaning that I adhere to that may help you understand where I'm coming from. Like a lot of people who I am friends with on Facebook, I read their books, I've written blurbs for their books, I love what they believe. Um, they, uh, their whole concept is that Christ was here before Jesus was here, which I agree with. Christ, the Christ existed, like even um, uh, when in 1 Corinthians when it says, it's talking about the Israelites in the wilderness and it said they all ate and drank of that spiritual rock and that rock was Christ. Or if you go to Hebrews 11, it says um, uh, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh, uh, choosing um, something about choosing to be identified with Christ rather than to entertain sin for a season. I'm, I'm misquoting it, but it, but it uses the, phrase, the, the term Christ. So Christ existed before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Jesus embodied the Christ. Christ is a bigger concept, but Jesus was a 33-year reality. Christ is a bigger... Christ is, is uh, eternal, all right? Jesus had a birth in Bethlehem and a death on uh, Calvary. Uh, Christ is, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That, that, that's the difference, okay? So a lot of, like sometimes you'll see these memes that says coexist, and it'll have, it'll have like a cross and a Star of David for um, um, Judaism and uh, the moon and the star thing for Islam and the, the yin and yang for Taoism. And uh, so the idea is that Christ was here and he's revealed through all of these, all of these uh, belief systems, which technically I agree with. I completely understand that and agree with it enough that I wouldn't even argue with somebody. If, that, if that's their interpretation, I get it. I understand what you're saying. I don't even technically disagree with you. Here's what's a little bit different than me. And I'm not saying those other people are wrong. Just for me personally, I can only speak for me. Don't tell me what somebody else said. I'm just saying for me. I don't believe, like, I don't believe Jesus was just one of the guys. I do believe Jesus was the guy. I just don't think if you believe in one of the other guys, you're damned for eternity. All right? You understand? I do think there was something special about Jesus, and that's no that's no reflection on any other religion or belief system whatsoever. I do think there was something about the cross. <laughs> I've got Suri stirred up. He's preaching with me now. Um, What's the name of the app you want to launch? I'm not talking to you, Siri. Thank you very much. Um, okay. Shh. When Siri, when Siri feels the anointing, he has to jump in with me. Um, so that's why if somebody says, well, you're new age. Yeah, a lot of my teaching is would be considered new age or new thought. That, that doesn't, I don't consider that an insult. By the same token, I can say the Apostles' Creed, and yeah, I believe in a virgin birth, I believe in a literal resurrection. 
I don't see those. Everything in my thinking is yes and, not either or. So if somebody's universalist or whatever, I can totally flow with them. I can be in a service with them. There's nothing. They don't trigger me in any way. If, if anything, I would probably feel more comfortable. Uh, I would feel more comfortable in that setting than I would in a traditional church setting at this point. Because some of the church services I've been to in the last few years, I look around and think, if this is what you guys believe now, I'm, I'm not this anymore. I'm not, I mean, I'm not this. Uh, that's that, what that guy's saying up there is not, it's just not the, the truth. It's the truth. He walks in right now, but I don't think that's the truth. So I'm saying that to say, like, um, I'm friends with somebody on Facebook. I only know her through Facebook. And I wrote a, uh, sometimes she watches, she may watch me today. And she's a brilliant woman who came from a very similar background to mine. And she has a book. I wrote uh, something for her uh, book cover, jacket. Uh, it, her The title is something, How I Escaped Christianity to Find Christ. It's a, it's a great concept. And I even think in that, in that uh, thing I wrote, I called her a spiritual Harriet Tubman to, to bring people out of the bondage of, of slavery, of religious slavery. I do believe that. I, there's nothing she would say that I disagree with. I'm just saying for me, my, my impetus is more about making it all make sense. To say, I don't want to, I don't want to do, I don't want to be involved with crazy stuff. Because now, like, when I read some of the things that people um, that I grew up with write on their Facebook page, they're espousing QAnon's conspiracies and things like that. I think, well, how did you lose your mind? Where did you, do you have no spiritual perception at all? Like, what happened to your discernment? Like one of the one of the fruit of the spirit, one of the gifts of the spirit is the spirit of discernment. How did how did you lose yours? And um, you know, I see that these people used to talk about Jesus. Now they talk about a political party. They talk about an ex-president. That's all. The, that's all they talk about. I mean, I there's lots of people I, I like. Barack Obama. I voted for him. I don't preach about him all the time. I don't post quotes from him on my Facebook page. I'm not a devotee of his. I mean, he's he was an elected American president. And um, I, to me, nationalism and patriotism are two completely different things. I am completely patriotic. I am not a nationalist. When you're a nationalist, you become, I mean, Hitler was a nationalist. Nationalism says our country at the expense of every other country. Like you know, screw them, and that's not that's not the way the globe works. Uh, we're all connected. You can't just say we're just going to look out for America and everybody else can go to hell. That's not the way it works because we get products from other countries and other countries could bomb us. Like well, you have to, you can be totally patriotic and still be a globalist. Okay, which I am. So back to this thing. Let's let me, let me stay on course about. Um, why do we pray in the name of Jesus and the I am? So, I, I want, to me, my definition of the ministry of reconciliation, it just in my life, I'm not speaking for anybody else. I'm saying just in my life, in my ministry, in my calling. I, if I thought 
everything I had preached for my entire life was just BS. That would be, I can't imagine how depressing that would be. Furthermore, um, I can quote people like Wayne Dyer or uh, Deepak Chopra or some of these uh, Buddhist teachers, Ram Dass. I can, I can quote all of them and do and not have any issue with anything they say at all. That's not a problem to me at all. That doesn't mean I'm going to throw the Bible away. I want the Bible to make sense. I want, I want to be able to look back at some experiences that I know that I've had with the Holy Spirit and say, I know I wasn't making that up. I know that wasn't the power of suggestion. So I need to figure out what was happening there. I, I want that to, I, I want that all to connect. Some of you remember this. Uh, I may have done this more than once, but one time when I first introduced meditation to Metron, everybody had their eyes closed and the music was playing. And You know, where I came from, we were taught that transcendental meditation was of the devil. So, you know, you don't let your mind go idle because then, you know, demons can, <laughs> demons can uh, possess you. And um, I said, uh, I said, I'm just going to do this before I overthink it. I feel like I have a message in tongues and I want to give it right now. M most of the people that follow me now didn't come from a Pentecostal background, so they don't really, they're not, they haven't been exposed to the vocal gifts of the Spirit. And I gave a message in tongues and interpreted it, and it was very, very powerful. Some people wouldn't understand, how could you do that? How could you be meditating in one breath and operating in the gifts of the Spirit? Because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, that's why. Because in the days of fulfillment, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. The age of Aquarius is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's all the same thing. It's not either or. Anytime, let me say this again, because I've said it recently. I gotta, I gotta say it again. If you're a part of a group, a denomination, uh, uh, an enclave, whatever, if you start hearing your leaders say, we're the only ones with the truth, and they start using words like remnant, everybody else is, you know, we're, we're the only chosen few, we're the ones who are still right and everybody else is wrong. Run for your life, you're in a cult. Acts 15 says, in the, in the days of fulfillment, I will raise up the tabernacle of David. The tabernacle is not the temple. The tabernacle has open air sides. Anybody can come into the tabernacle. The temple, you had to go through this labyrinth of trying to get through the holy of holies and the most holy place. And even then, the priest had to, they had to tie a rope around his ankle in case the, in case the Shekinah glory killed him and he had to be drugged out from behind the, from behind the veil. The temple's destroyed. Jesus, listen, listen to me. Jesus never talked about the end of the world. In Matthew 24, when he said, there are some of you standing here that will see this happen. He wasn't talking about the end of the world. It, it happened, He was. that was about uh, 33 AD when he said that. And sure enough, that temple was destroyed in uh, 70 AD. Just read it. That's why there was a dispersion. Uh, dis Dispersion, what's the word? Um, Dispora of Jews all over the world, including going to Europe, because the temple was destroyed. Jesus said, some of you will still be alive when this happens, because they were. What is 1933 to, to 
I mean, 33 AD to 70 AD, that's just what? That's like from, that's like when I was in high school. It's just that, it's that length of time. Um, Jesus talked about the end of an age, the end of an aeon. We, we say eon, but it's, it's the Greek word A-I-O-N. So the, 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 the age of the temple is over. And now we're in the day of the tabernacle. And, and let me, since I'm doing this, let me explain, you know, one of the biggest mistakes I've made in ministry, I realize now, is assuming people know more than they do. So it's important to remind myself to go back and explain things that I think are so obvious. I think if I explain this, I'm going to sound condescending, but I realize some people need to know this. Like um, two people very close to me, uh, I won't say they were related to me, but let's say they were close to me. One of them believes in, believes theologically in inclusion. The other one doesn't. One of them blocked the other one on Facebook. And the one who doesn't believe in inclusion wrote and said, this other person blocked me and I thought they believed in inclusion. And I thought, wow, you don't really understand what inclusion Inclusion just means, like, I don't think they think you're going to be damned for eternity. They just don't want to argue with you on Facebook and have you put your political opinions on their page. That's, that's not a conflict. Like, I believe in inclusion and I block people all the time. It doesn't mean I think they're going to hell or God doesn't love them. It just means I don't want to, uh, you're stressing me out. I don't want to, I, I don't want to be sucked into your negative vortex. So, and, and you're, you're unpredictable what you might write on my page. So I'm just going to block you and, and go with God. I, I think you may be a very nice person, but we're, uh, until, I, we, we can't flow together. That to me is not a conflict. Or, like I remember, um, Years ago, some of y'all know Felicia Cullen, who's, who comes, still comes to Metron. Uh, when we were at Church of the Now, her daughter, Kanaya, was shot, not killed, nobody was killed in it, but when the shooter at Heritage High School, some of y'all remember, this is back in 1999, that's when, that's when Kim Clement came to the church. A, lo a lot of things happened during that time. And while Kanaya was still in the hospital, I was there a lot th through those days. And all of the news media was there interviewing me and interviewing people, uh, interviewing her. And in one of the interviews, she said, I forgive the, the guy who shot me. And the news people asked me, they said, did you tell her to say that? I said, I don't tell people in my church to say anything. That was, that's her. They speak for themselves. This is not, we're not a cult. I mean, you, people say what they want to say. And um, because she said that, my phone lit up that day with preachers saying, you better tell that young girl, that man needs, that kid needs to pay his debt to society. He needs to be in prison. And I said, who said anything about him not going to prison? Like, I think he's dangerous. I didn't say he shouldn't, I didn't say he should be walking the streets carrying a gun. F furthermore, I didn't say anything. She was the one that was shot. She said, I forgive him. That's what she wanted to say. That, like, that's what you think inclusion is? That's what, you, that's what you think we believe? No, I may not think you're going to hell and still want you behind bars because you could be potentially dangerous to me. I'm amazed that people, people don't know the difference, but they, they clearly don't. People think when you when you preach the ultimate reconciliation of the cross or that Jesus died, they think you're just saying, la, 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 child molesters, go find some kids and molest. I'm like, wow, that's what you got out of that? That's what you think? 
I mean, if if you're going to talk about biblical definitions of who goes to hell, you're going, I'm going, everybody you've ever met's going, your mama's going, everybody. If you think the, the lake of fire in Revelation is punitive, you better go read it again because it says the first ones going in are the fearful. And the, the Greek literally says those who are discontented with their lot in life. Well, that's pretty much everybody I've ever counseled with. So, anyway, I don't want to get in the weeds about hell because people love their hell. I don't, I don't want to take, the, those of you that are hell lovers and Satan worshipers, I don't want to take that away from you. I want to give you, not, namaste, uh, have, have all the hell you want. As a matter of fact, I've nearly come to believe because, um, uh, I believe in the multiverse and the and um, uh, the the observer effect from quantum physics. I think, yeah, you know what? Maybe in your reality there is a hell. Maybe there is a place of eternal punishment for you. I mean, if it's so real and important to you, uh, maybe maybe you're going to create an environment where. Uh... Oh, thank you, BJ. Um, but anyway, if you know, if you want to believe it, namaste to your hell. Uh, I'm just saying that, that's that's not what this, Jesus didn't talk about that. And um, and furthermore, neither did Paul. Um, now here's a couple of things that I I could, I could talk on this for hours, but two things I specifically that I want to mention that I didn't get to last week. One of them is this concept. It's it's also found in Romans 8. If you look in uh, like verse 15, it says, um, for we have not received, for ye have not received, I'll say it out of King James, for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit, verse 16 says, The Spirit itself uh, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and listen to this, joint heirs with Christ. I mean, the, the scriptures are full of phrases like co-laborers with God and fellow workers, all this sort of thing. Um, but this phrase, joint heirs, basically what that means is everything that's true for the firstborn son is true for the billionth son or the billionth daughter or the trillionth daughter. Like the, the Paul said um, in Ephesians chapter 3, he says, uh, for this reason I bow my knees to the to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for whom the whole fam the whole family in heaven and earth is named. That he would grant unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you of him. Um, the whole family. Universalism. So when you say, should I pray in the name of Jesus or should I say I am? Tomato tomato. Because Oh, and let me also say this. Let me say this. When I say I'm God, you're God, I'm not saying I'm capital G, sovereign of the universe. I created everything and you have to obey me. That's not, 
Somebody wrote in here last week. They said, oh, well, my husband has been saying he's God for years. I guess I need to take it back. No. None of us is that. I'm not omnipotent. Even, you remember a few weeks, a few months ago, I taught on, um, in John 10, where they said, they said to Jesus, why do you call yourself the Son of God? And he said, well, this is even in your own, uh, your own, um, law. He quotes the Psalms and he says, for I said, you are all gods, but you will die like men. In other words, I'm God, you're God, but we're still, we're not omnipotent. I'm not capital G God. I'm not, I'm not omniscient. I'm not, uh, I'm not all knowing, all being, all powerful. Yeah, that was you. I wasn't going to out you, Rhonda, but yes, that was you. Um, but I am, he's the vine, I'm the branch. Like, if he's God, I'm God, because I'm a joint heir with Jesus. If I were to say that I'm not God, then I'm saying that I'm not a joint heir with Jesus. As long as I think Jesus is in some special category away from me, then I have not discerned the family of God. I have not discerned. I, I, I've never, I haven't understood what the cross was about. Um, so I, want, I definitely want to establish that. And the other thing I want to make sure that I get said on this is um, I remember back in the day, um, my dad, he brought, uh, some of you won't remember this name, but twice he brought Catherine Coleman to Atlanta. We had her scheduled for a third time before she had died. And we used to have Benny Hinn in, and we used to have a lot of the, <laughs> some of these names would be totally lost on you, but like Charles and Francis Hunter, and a lot of these superstars of the charismatic Word of Faith movement, Kenneth Hagin, Kenneth Copeland, we had them all, when I worked with my dad for five years, we had them all at our church. And I used to notice the ones who were really, um, uh, their whole emphasis, we had Vicki Jameson, all, all these, the, um, the wind's getting mad. All right, wind, settle down. Give me five more minutes. Give me five more, wind. Settle. Peace be still. Um, many of these healing evangelists, before they would pray for people, they would go through this laborious explanation of how they were not the healer, I'm not the healer, it's not me healing you, it's God healing you. And even back then, I mean, my, my spirit... My spirit-filled spirit knew stuff that my mind was not ready for. My spirit was so advanced over my mind. My mind was filled with wrong teaching. My spirit already knew this stuff. And even back then, I would think, well, if, if there's nothing special about you, if, if, if Jesus is the healer and it's not you, then why are you laying hands on people? Why, why did Jesus give his disciples, including Judas, power to heal sicknesses and deliver people. If it's not, if it's not coming through a person, why does somebody have the, gifts, the gift of healing or the gifts of the Spirit? So that I would say, yeah, if you've got a healing ministry and you lay hands on somebody, it is you healing them. <gasps> I can't believe you said that. Ain't nobody gonna take God's glory. Baby, let me tell you something. God's real big. God's real big. Big old God. Your little ministry ain't going to do jack to take any glory away from God. Think of God as the Pacific Ocean, and your little ministry is a 
bucket, a plastic bucket on the beach filled up with salt water. That's that's your ministry. That's my ministry. Anytime you start having these grandiose ideas of how you know your ministry is so important, you bet you've got to get out there and look at. Oh no, the ocean's really big. That being said, that water that's in your little bucket is just it's the pacific ocean it's not the entire pacific ocean but it is the pacific ocean it's it's water out of the pacific ocean it's got the same um makeup it's got the same molecular structure it doesn't it does oh please get this when you pour that water in the bucket the bucket the bucket doesn't lose any of itself so that you're not trying to get people to worship you but let, let, me, let me explain how this works sometimes and, and and when I say this don't light up my phone today with everybody calling me this is only for you you know who you are you know when it's appropriate sometimes I'll have somebody call me and say look I don't want to go into detail I'm going through some stuff I just need to hear your voice I just need to hear your voice. If I can hear your voice, I know everything's going to be okay. Now, some people would hear that and say, "Oh, you're putting too much, you're putting too much importance on that person." No, Jesus led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men, and one of those gifts was the gift of a pastor. I've even heard people say, "Bishop, I don't know if this is right or wrong, but I feel like when I hear God speak, it sounds like your voice inside of me." Well. That's understandable because you've been listening to me talk about God for many, many years. So it would be very hard to to split those atoms. So I understand that. Still doesn't mean that you or I think I'm big G God. So anybody that says, oh, you're, he's over there preaching, here's God. Yeah, I am, but make sure you don't misquote. Because I, I, I'm yet to walk on water. I'm yet to do any of that. However... I do have an elder brother that said I was supposed to surpass what he did. I go to, I, it is necessary for you that I go so that he can come. And when he comes, talking about he, the limitless idea of God, then you'll even do greater works than me. So if you're, if you're so afraid of offending Jesus by thinking you're going to get too much credit for something, baby, you're never going to do greater works than him. You're so careful. You're so careful not to offend him. Let me tell you something. I've actually met and recently talked to the real Jesus, who's still, I know he was only Jesus for 33 years, but you understand, in, in heaven, there is still a capital M man in, in another place that we would call the Lamb, all right? When we get to the other side, he won't be called Jesus because when John had his revelation of him, he said on his on his thigh and on his vesture was uh, a name written, the Word of God, and he had a name written that no, nobody knew but he himself. So even the person that we think of as Jesus will not exist on the other side. But I'm, I'm still willing to believe in a high priest of my confession as well. And this is what I pick up when I talk to him. He's good. <laughs> God doesn't have low self-esteem. God's not intimidated by you. If, let's say Moses did part the Red Sea. You know what God says about that? About time somebody did that. 
That's what I put you here. Let us make people in our image and let them have dominion. So if if Moses parts the Red Sea, God doesn't say, Moses, you better tell him I did that. I worked so hard trying to part that sea. You better not take no God's like, no, that's what I put you here to do. It's about time somebody took authority over the elements. It's about time somebody walked in that kind of dominion. I would go so far as to say is the reason more of us haven't had prayers answered is because we're just yakking away at a God who's like, I already told y'all, I gave you the keys of the kingdom. It's like, here's the key to my car. And you're standing there going, how do I drive this car? How do I drive this car? You've got the keys in your hand. So much of our time is wasted praying over things that God's like, I already told you how to do this. Why are you even, I mean, that first verse I read, Jesus said, henceforth, you will ask me nothing. So I'm not saying don't believe in a higher power. I'm saying when you walk in your power, you demonstrate that there is a higher power because you came from somewhere. And that higher power is not worried that you're going to get too much of his press or her press or its press. Whatever, whatever that thing is that we've called God for so long is still real. And through our consciousness, some people would say, well, you just think Jesus is real and God speaks of the Bible because you were raised with that and you're predisposed to it. Touche, that might be, I, I don't know, maybe that is true. I don't have any way of, I don't have any way of knowing that. I just know I can read the Quran and it doesn't, it's fine, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel to me like the Bible does. That being said, there's things I read in the Bible that I'm like, I'm rightly dividing that because I know God didn't say that. God didn't tell you to kill your children. Um, so, um, I want to make sure I get those two concepts in there. And oh, let me add a third. Let me add a third. May I? Um, when Jesus healed people, he, did, he there was no monolithic way that he healed people in the Gospels. I mean, there was he was constantly throwing people a curve. Some people he would command a spirit to come out of them. Some people he would lay hands on them. Uh, one one guy he spat in the dirt and made mud and put it on his hand on his eyes. Uh, one guy he says take up your bed and walk. There was no anytime you box healing into a formula, you're gonna die. Healing has healing has to be it has to be tailor made to your, your what's real for you. What works for somebody else doesn't work for you. Um, he didn't say this every time, but most times when he healed somebody, he said, your faith has made you whole. Your faith. Not, you better recognize, you better recognize that I'm the healer. No, he says, you know, you, you did this. Basically what he served the, the position he serves is to be a catalyst to show you who you are. Jesus came to reveal to you that you are the I am. Again, I refer to John 14, 6 in the mirror. My I amness in you is your way. Not I am the way. Hit the road, Jack. Don't you come back no more. No. My I amness in you is your way. 
Your faith has made you whole. You do this. You say this. Again, if I may refer to my day of calling myself back out of the river, I never prayed one time. I called it back. Totally different thing. And I did it because something created me that told me to do it. Something divine lit that pilot light and there is a divine spark in me. Have people abused that? This is what I believe. I'm trying to shut up, but once again, I'm preaching, <laughs> I'm preaching too good. I may, just, I may just have been born for this. Let me... All right, I'll say this and then I'll show up. I remember, like when people say, uh, ooh, that's dangerous teaching. A lot of those cult leaders told people they were God. Jim Jones told people they were God. No, anytime, if, if somebody tells you they're God and they're trying to isolate you and tell you that, shh, we're the only ones that know this secret. I'm trying to get out of the sun. If somebody says that, you're in trouble. You're in a cult. If, however, somebody says, I'm God, you're God, we're all God, God's open, and the tabernacle of David uh, is set up, then that's freedom. And I, I was thinking about this for some reason yesterday. I remember uh, when, I was a, um, when I was a kid, I, I don't know, this might have been mandatory for pastors in the denomination that my dad was in when I was growing up, till, till I was 12. Um, but we took in members of the church once a month, and I remember when the people would line up there to join the church, he would read a, a litany of things. We believe um, we believe men should have short hair, women should have long hair. We do not believe in, I think there's a thing about going to movies, women should not wear unnecessary jewelry. Uh, there was even a thing in there about we not believe in the ordering, the uh, joining of private lodges. I think back then, things like the Elks Club, or may, maybe maybe they were even talking about the um, um, what are they called? Masons. Maybe I don't know. Whatever it was, I remember he would always say that. So you had to meet this criteria to be good enough to join our church. It's so interesting to me that Jesus said, by this shall all men know you're my disciples, that you love one another. And there's nothing in that credo that says anything about love. <laughs> it's men cut your hair, women don't cut your hair. Love, shmuv. We don't care anything about that. As long as you look right, women don't wear jewelry, don't wear pants. We don't care if you love people. We just need you to toe the line. There's just something so bizarre about that like why why wouldn't the first thing if you're going to be a part of this church you better love people you better love everybody why wouldn't that be the criteria and yet it's not i mean i i talked to a guy sometime back that his denomination actually sent out a letter to all the pastors and told them to stop preaching so much about love y'all are talking too much about love wow is that even a possibility so um if here's the ultimate litmus test whether this is this is for me or anybody you listen to if my teaching makes you feel more powerful it's anointed of God if my teaching is only 
to lift me up, lift myself up, it's self-aggrandizement. It's self-serving. Uh, if, if you ever hear me teach and say, this is only true for me, it ain't true for y'all. I'm the I am, but y'all, I'm constantly leading you. I say it, you say it. I say it, you say it. If you don't hear somebody bringing other people in, other joint heirs in, the family of God's very big. You better watch out. Your denomination may actually be a cult, not a denomination. Your local church may be a cult and not a real, not a real local church. The real church salts the earth and lights the world. I got to shut up and get out of here. All right. So, um, I'll go read your comments now. Um, if you want to give to the ministry, thank you for continuing to do that. We still, uh, you know, we still have overhead, and um, uh, we, we'll be back in the theater first Sunday of September. Um, go to bishinthenow.com, like short for bishop. It's very easy just to click on there. You can give. You have your your charitable giving for um, your tax write-offs. If you want to give to me directly, I have all the cash apps. You can just give uh, straight to me. Uh, I'm hoping to see a lot of you in St. Simons. And uh, I want you to go ahead and get yourself... I want you to start thinking this week about how you want it to be and start speaking things into existence. Start using your start using your divinity to make this the greatest meditation weekend we've ever had. Uh, I love you very much, and I can't wait to uh, hear from you. Peace.